0: sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, accelerate your business growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Patrick Hardy. Patrick is founder and CEO of Hytropy Disaster Management, the largest full-service disaster management company in the US. A certified emergency manager, certified risk manager, and a FEMA Master of Exercise, he has extensive experience working in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors in disaster management from micro-businesses to Fortune 500 companies, including Google, Merck, Persons Corporations, and many others. Thanks so much for joining me today, Patrick.
1: Thank you for having me today, Diane, I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so we're talking about disaster management, which I, I, you know, i I think there's a lot of business owners who don't even really think about it. They, especially small business owners, they don't realize that, you know, disaster can happen at any time and any variety of ways and that it's something to, uh, make sure it's sort of like insurance, you know, make sure you're prepared for it and then hopefully you never need it. Um, But I'm curious what you see as some like common mistakes
1: that are
0: are made out there in the business world. Biggest
1: mistake I see are owners and senior managers who write disaster plans that essentially say that management will take care of it. So if you were to ask me what is the biggest issue with disaster plans that I see from coast to coast, I work in 53 industries. I work with uh, you know, bars and restaurants and hotels and nursing homes and charter schools and beekeeping operations and alligator farms. I work with all kinds of businesses. And every single one of them make the identical mistake, which is they say, you know, ultimately management will handle it. The owner will handle it. I've actually seen this written in disaster plans before uh, where uh, the plan will actually say, OK, go ahead and conduct a shelter in place. Uh, you know, as a result of a severe storm. And so people say, OK, and then you'll flip open the disaster plan in this big red binder, dusty, of course, and then they open it up and there it is. And it says, first step, call the manager. Second step, <laughs> do what the manager says. And that doesn't empower employees at all. Yeah. <laughs> disaster plans are supposed to be about empowerment. Disaster plans are supposed to make you um stronger it's supposed to be a tool for you to utilize but instead businesses don't do that what they do instead is they say i'm going to create a top heavy disaster plan because i want to be in charge in every disaster and i turn to business owners and i say okay what happens if you're in bermuda what happens if you're on jury duty what if your kid is sick what would happen if during an earthquake and this actually has happened in real life where you'll have an earthquake and the owners are unavailable because Cell phone coverage is now delayed or they're injured or they're a casualty. So those are the kinds of things that I talk to business owners about rectifying. They say your disaster procedures, whatever they are, whoever wrote them, a consultant, you, FEMA, whatever, no matter what, if they don't empower your employees, you're wasting your time because those plans are never going to work because I can create without even picking up a piece of paper or opening up a cell phone. I could come up with half a dozen ways to beat your disaster plan, just with that alone. As I said, I wouldn't have to do anything. I could do it just walking into a business totally cold, and I could come up with a disaster exercise that would foil their entire disaster plan on that very mistake alone.
0: Yeah, boy, uh, it makes so much sense. It's unfortunate, um, but I'm so glad we're talking about this. So- What kinds of plans do businesses need to
1: have in a disaster program? They really need three plans. Uh, The first plan is what we call a, a risk assessment plan. That risk assessment plan essentially identifies one thing. It answers one question, one question only. And that question is, is what risks do we face? What real threats do we face? And what I want business owners to think about is they don't want them to think about the obvious stuff. I don't want them to, because a lot of times business owners, they'll do this by gut instinct. They'll say, well, sure. I live in Florida, so I know they're going to deal with what hurricanes, right? Floods, yeah. you know, the normal usual nonsense. But then I say to them, what about active shooters? Yeah. Have you really done an accurate assessment as to whether or not your businesses are vulnerable to an active shooter event so i'll give you a perfect example i was working with a architecture firm an architecture firm of all things in orange county california not exactly a bastion of terrorism and i turned to them and i said okay uh tell me about some of the things you're dealing with tell me some of your clients and they were talking about how they did business with certain business interests in the middle east and I looked up those business interests, and they were actually targeted. That company was actually targeted by a, a terrorist cell that said, ultimately, if we had the opportunity, we're going to strike these guys. This was 15 years ago, so this was a long time ago. So, And this is the kind of thing where people, they don't assess it very well. I look at companies, and I say, how many disgruntled employees do you have? How many former disgruntled employees do you have how many no longer work for you how many people have you fired these are things i think about just with after alone i mean we're not even talking about things like bomb threats or um, other things like a technological incidents like for example i had i have a company that relies a lot on trains trains are huge and i turn them and i say okay what happens if trains aren't working what happens if you have a supply Disruption, which is what we're doing with right now as a result of the conflict in Eurasia, right? So these are the kinds of things that people don't think about and those can have massive impacts on their business, right? So these are threats that that can have um, a long-term impact for them. Okay, so that's the first plan is a risk plan. The second plan is what we call an emergency response plan. I call that the lights and sirens plan. That's what you do with evacuation, Sheltering in place, and so on. Lockdowns, dealing with uh, injuries, dealing with crisis communication, dealing with the media, dealing with employees who may be injured, uh, and uh, anything involving health and safety. That's what that plan is supposed to address. And it's supposed to give you clear direction on how you're supposed to respond. And then the last plan is what we call a business continuity plan. A business continuity plan essentially says how are we going to get back in business? How are we gonna get back in business? What do we need to have back in place? What recovery mechanisms do we have to have? What technology do we have to have? What facilities do we have to have? What uh, products do we have to have? And trust me, I've worked with a myriad of businesses. You'd be amazed what some of these companies rely on to do business. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a stark reminder that, that Americans have been tremendously successful at being creative entrepreneurs, but that creativity comes with a cost. Because the more creative you are, that means you have unique vulnerabilities that you have to focus on. And in a disaster, if you're that unique, you can put yourself in a situation where you are actually harder to recover than others, because it isn't prioritized as highly as a result.
0: Fascinating. I mean, all these thoughts
1: are just like rolling around in my head about this
0: it's so yeah it's something important. that i tell
1: business owners you have to focus on these things these are things that sometimes people forget about they forget yeah. about these kinds of plans
0: right right exactly exactly and and i would imagine there are things that they can't even conceive could happen right that that mm-hmm. it's hard to think about every possibility of disaster there,
1: well there's no doubt i mean i was working with a charter school one time in, in alabama rural alabama case okay, so of picture rural Al- Alabama somewhere. Okay. You got a school mill of nowhere. And one day my, my service center gets a call early in the morning, right? Cause we're actually on California time and they're, and they're on, Easter, they're on uh, a time. And so they call and say, well, the school is on lockdown and my employee freaks out and thinks, and you and I both know if you were, if, if I were to turn to you and say, okay, a school is having a lockdown, you and I are automatically going to assume what? Shooter. That it's a, it's a mass shooting, right? It's a school yeah. shooting, right? Yeah. Well, it wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at all. It was actually this. The day before, a, um, a logging company that was operating in the area accidentally felled a tree. And the tree fell in the forest. And there were, I kid you not, grasshoppers. A large group of grasshoppers were suddenly thrown into the air and started swarming. And the grasshoppers covered the school from end to end in grasshoppers, covered it entirely. And the school went on lockdown for that. And I had people sometimes say, well, why in the world would a school need to go on lockdown for that? And I say, you know, grasshoppers will bite you. They will bite you. And those are the kinds of things where if they bite you, you actually have to to remove the body and then uh, take the jaws off with a credit card. You have to take a credit card and that kind of thing, pull the jaws out because they will not let go. So that's one of the things that, that's a threat that nobody would have thought of, right? But those are the kinds of lockdowns that occur in a society like ours, which you're looking at totally different environments, totally different places where people have to deal with these things. And these are where people put their businesses and schools and and healthcare institutions, you know? And so these are the kinds of things you have to think about Otherwise, what ends up happening is, is that you think about the massive catastrophic stuff. Everybody's always worried about, you know, a massive 9-11 style terrorist attack. And then they forget that the pedestrian stuff could be just as, as much of an interruption on your business as, you know, uh, 19 hijackers can be.
0: Wow. And how... Should leaders empower their employees? You you talked about that You know, at the beginning. I think that is so critically
1: important. How do they do that? What I want them to do is I want them to do this. Every time they write a plan, I want them to write it with this philosophy in mind. If I do nothing, no one else will either. If I do nothing, no one else will either. The reason why that's important is because mm-hmm. currently people think, and the reason, the way our plans are written, is if I do nothing, someone will take care of it. Yeah. If right. I do nothing, management will handle it. Yeah. If I do yeah. nothing, the CEO will handle it. If I do nothing, now, 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 imagine Diane, I change your mind, and I turn it to if I do nothing, no one's going to do anything else either. So you're going to say to yourself, I'm going to take a moral responsibility over the disaster. I want to take it so that. As employees, people can actually empower themselves. They can get access to equipment, access to plans, access to tools that they need. You can't restrict people from trying to get access to different things. Because if you do that, what's the point of having a plan in the first place? Yeah, right. I've told told this to hotel chains before. I go, you know what? Your plans have to be accessible to everybody. They go, well, I don't know about that. I go, why don't you know about that? Well, I don't know that the employees can do that. And I go, why not? You need to train them. <laughs> if you, well, I don't know if I can trust them to do that. And I go, then why'd you hire them? <laughs> you've got hundreds <laughs> of people sleeping here every night at this yeah. hotel, every night. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are sleeping here. If you have a disaster in the middle of the night and there's only maybe one night manager, you have a bunch of people. You have one night manager and you've got you know 10 or 15 people. Okay, who now have to be managed, who have to figure out what do we need to do? They need to be able to organize into a team and start conducting and start doing tasks and accomplishing things. If you don't do that, all you're doing is you have a bunch of people who are going to stand around and do nothing. Or worse, they'll go out on their own and they'll try to do something heroic, which ends up hurting themselves, hurting guests. And that's not necessary. I mean, because they're very right-minded, but you have to position them in a way that they can be successful. You have to provide them with tools, allow them to form a team and allow them to accomplish tasks. If your plans and and preparedness doesn't do that, then it's all really a waste of time.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that.
2: Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube.
0: And talk to me some about emergency equipment. You, you say um, you know, that it never seems to be useful in a
1: disaster. Why is that? Yeah, they never seem to be useful because what happens is is that you know how you know how it goes. Someone goes to Home Depot. Or some big box store and they buy a red backpack, right? Those ubiquitous red backpacks we see everywhere. <laughs> they buy them and they don't think anything about what's in them. Like, uh, like uh, and so what happens is that people get tools and things that are totally inappropriate for them. So, so yeah. as a basic example, I was working with a I, I do a lot of campgrounds in California. I do about 60 to 70 percent of all the campgrounds have my disaster plan in them. And so I go out to a lot of the parks and get to enjoy them. They're beautiful. They're in some of the most incredible venues you can imagine from Yosemite to Santa Cruz, to all the way down to Coronado and San Diego. It's unbelievable. So if you haven't been out there, you, you absolutely should. And so I was at, I was at a, a property and there was a couple, an elderly couple who was RVing around the country. And I was talking to the property about disaster planning. And these people came up to me and said, listen, we're traveling around the country. And we would like to ask you, would you be willing to take a look at our equipment? And I just as a friendly gesture, I said, sure, bring it in. I'll have a look at it. So they brought it in. And the first thing I noticed about it was the, the backpack was zip tied. So it never been opened. So we cut the zip tie off. So that's Hint number one that we have a problem. (laughs) Once we open it, I literally did this: I dumped everything on the table. I dumped everything out of it. I put it on the table. They said, "Why did you do that? We're never going to be able to pack it again." I said, "Listen, if you've never touched the stuff, how do you know it's going to work? How do you know it's going to work?" And so they said, "Okay, fine." So then, and so I, I was parceling through the different tools and things that it offers, and then I took the food and the food. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen these before, Diane. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, perhaps. Is there what they're, they're what I like to call the hockey puck food, which is they're usually these sort of square hockey pucks, right? And they've been hardened. They're like MREs, just like the military has. Yeah. And so I took one of those and I took a knife and I cut it open and I handed it to him and I said, Bon appetit, go eat it. <laughs> And they said, well, why? And I said, you have to try it. And then literally what they said was, was they said, we can't eat this food. I said, why is that? They said, um, because one of them has celiac disease. So she has a gluten allergy and he can't because he has gastrointestinal issues. So I said, listen, you've been carrying around a backpack with equipment that isn't going to help you. This alone, this food isn't going to help you because in a disaster, if you have celiac disease, and you consume this you're going to become extremely ill (laughs) you know and right and and if he ate it he would be incredibly ill so what would that result in that would compound the disaster it would make the disaster worse right so what i tell people is is i say when you ever you buy equipment food water pellets whatever you get i don't care open it up and try it (laughs) if there's Equipment that you have, which this happens all the time. This happens all the time. Businesses are really bad at this too. They'll buy equipment and then they won't know how to use any of it. <laughs> so yeah, so right. they'll have stuff in there like emergency radios. I love emergency radios. They're fantastic. But when I go to do drills, I challenge properties. And sometimes I get properties kind of irritated at me because I turn to them and I say, listen, you need to turn on the emergency radio. And they go, well, we don't do that because we don't, do don't want to activate the battery. We don't have to worry about that. And I say, maybe you didn't read the box. This is a solar ray radio. (laughs) (laughs) So you know what I mean. And it's just that that, you know it's the kind of thing where that's what happens when people don't look at equipment and don't actually try it. You got to try. I I tell them, you buy it, you try it. Don't over rely on it. That's the system you should always apply with every piece of equipment, whether it's a whistle, or chalk, or rope or whatever. Whatever it is, you buy it, you try it, but don't over rely on it.
0: Yeah, I love that. That that is so great. And and talk to me some about effective disaster drills. Cuz you mentioned, oh. you know, going in and doing a drill. How, how how does someone do that?
1: Most drills that I see are what I like to call Shakespearean drills, which is, you know, Polonius enters stage right, you know, and then the three witches enter stage left, right? And that, that, that's really the way the drills run, right? Schools are the worst offenders. Schools are the worst offenders. They'll have a drill where they'll say, okay, the bell rings. And what do the kids always do? Everybody stands up, chuckling, laughing. The teacher grabs a little clipboard. They may grab a red backpack if they have one, of course. And then they'll march outside in a single file, mind yeah. you. Yeah. Single file. Kids still chewing gum. Kids relaxing. They go out in the field. And what do the kids do for 15 minutes? Chuckle, have fun, talk with their friends. The teachers are standing out there trying to discipline the kids, keep them in line. The principal does the usual count. And then once the counts are done, what happens next? they all get up and do what? They go right back into the classroom again. I tell people that's a waste of time. That's a waste of time. That that doesn't help you at all. <laughs> so what I tell people is, is make your drills unpredictable. I do this all the time. I give teachers envelopes and, and I say if, during a drill, you open up these. On- so randomly hand mm. out these white envelopes to various teachers um, during the uh, during uh, either a morning meeting or just hand them out at random to the classrooms, Have the principal hand them out and, and don't have the teacher open it until once the alarm goes off. So the alarm goes off and they'll open it up and the sheet of paper will read things like, you have been injured and you can't leave your classroom. Now let's run the drill. Or I have one that will add another classroom, two or three classrooms down. It'll say, tell five kids to hide under your desk and refuse to leave under any circumstances. And then I'll tell another classroom, half of your kids have been burned by fire And can't even stand up. Okay. Now I do that, then I say, now run your drill. What do you think automatically happens? It's chaos out there. Yeah. Right. Chaos. Right. Kids are screaming. Teachers are not sure what's going on. Principals are not sure. And I say, oh, is this a a really unpredictable situation? Yes. Has this been really difficult to run the drill? Yes. Has this been a tremendous inconvenience for you? And she says, yes. And I go, good. That's what I wanted <laughs> that's what I want I wanted unpredictable because that's what real disasters are about right real disasters are not about up I mean I mean like in California for example we deal with earthquakes I've been through two massive earthquakes I went through the Northridge quake when I was a kid and I went through Loma Pietra uh, when I was a little boy and um, those are scary earthquakes those are the kinds of earthquakes that movies are made of I mean those are the kinds of things that really scare you to death because you know whole apartment buildings were falling to the ground entire yeah. freeways were <laughs> became not navigable again <laughs> police departments were not not available you call 911 and all the phone lines are busy uh-huh. so now now you're entirely on your own that's what real disasters are about it's about chaos it doesn't mean you have to put people through the crucible of you know death and destruction of course not but you do have to make them unpredictable that has to challenge your planning if you make your planning too simple then you're just wasting your time. That's what it is, wasting your time. Yeah, yeah. And, and
0: what about, I'm imagining that, that like other things in a business, <clears throat> plans should be updated. So is there a, like a
1: certain cadence or
0: rhythm to updating a disaster plan?
1: Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. My company, uh, we update 365 days a year. So anytime anyone wants an update, they simply email us. We, we have a system we use. They have, we use an internal online form. They fill it out, and then we update the plans. But in general, what I tell people is at least, and key words there are at least, at least once a year and anytime there's a major change. So CEO changes, management changes, phone numbers change, policies change anything operationally that changes at your business, you need to change your plan. So Elon Musk Mm. just yesterday purchased Twitter, right? Right. Right. So the disaster plans now for all of Twitter need to be modified, not saying he's in charge, but they now need to ask management questions. What role does Mr. Musk wanna have in the operational and disaster recovery of twitter what responses he want to have in the continuity and i know owners who say listen i don't want anything to do with it i that's why i hire managers to handle it that's fair totally fine but then there's some owners who say it's my business i run it i want to be like that's fair too as long as you're empowering people and as long as in your absence they can still do things then that's fine but if you're ultimately available then you need to be able to modify your plans accordingly. Anytime you make a major change to your business, you have to change your plans or what's going to happen is your plans are not going to keep up to your business.
0: Right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. This is, I I really, I appreciate the information. I really appreciate the examples uh, because it just drives home the point that, you know, strange things can happen that empowering people to be part of the solution makes it easier on everyone, less chaotic and probably more um, results
1: driven. Absolutely, absolutely. It's creating creating an atmosphere for people to be able to be a team. That's really important. And in fact, I have a book that I am publishing next March. It's coming out March 7th, 2023. And you're going to love this book. And I hope that I'll, I'll get the opportunity to come back on your show so I can talk about the book. Because everything I'm telling you today will be in, in that book. Everything. New ways. I want people to view disasters differently. I want them to see disasters as not death and destruction, not doom and gloom, but as an opportunity. An opportunity to improve yourself your business and yourself personally, because there's so many things that if you approach disasters in a certain way, they're going to be so much more effective and they'll be able to um, respond to a disaster and recover from it so much more effectively. And this is just based on, um, you know, my experience, my time in government and with the private sector with big and little businesses.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, and it's coming out
1: of that disaster successfully. It is Right. That, that really is the
0: ultimate goal. Yeah.
1: yeah. There was a seminal study conducted um, after the uh, World Trade Center terrorist attack, not the one yeah. on 9-11, the one that occurred on February 26, 1993. It was, um, it was also done by al-Qaeda. In fact, 9-11, CC al-Qaeda has a philosophy that if they commit a terrorist attack, and it doesn't reach the objectives. they will try again. At that, same lo- at that same location again, they actually placed uh, truck bombs underneath the World Trade Center and tried to knock it down. They were- I remember were, that. Yeah, they were unsuccessful, of course. Yep. And right. so they decided to go instead of uh, down up, they decided to go up to down, which is why they struck the towers from the top and okay. not the bottom. Um, so one of the things that I talk about is there was a study done Uh, by the Disaster Recovery Institute. And they studied all the businesses that were affected by the 93 World Trade Center attacks. And what they discovered is that businesses, whether large or small, it didn't matter. If you were not fully recovered within 14 days, so two weeks, if you were not fully recovered, In 14 days, you had an 80% chance of going out of business within five years. Wow. So all those businesses, big and small, whether it was, you know, um, the local finance company, there were hedge funds in there, you know, and these are like, these are really well capitalized businesses. We're not talking about, you know, some random, you know, small business on, on the corner here. This is, these are companies with massive profitability and they determined that those companies will fail because if you can't recover, you can't recover your data, you can't recover your people, you can't recover the institutional knowledge, then your company's gonna go out of business because you simply can't come back. Eventually the writing's on the wall. And actually it's really sad because I've seen it too many times where there were businesses that I was speaking with and they were telling me they hadn't recovered yet. And this has been like eight, nine months. And they said, well, but we got a loan or we got this or we got that. I thought to myself, I'm very sad for them because really their business eventually will, they will eventually go out of business, most likely. Even if you get additionally capitalized, most people forget and don't know that it's not money that drives your business. It's your data. It's your people. It's your processes. It's your products. It's those things. If you don't have those back in place, you're never going to get back into business. Your your company is basically a dead man walking. That's what happens.
0: Yeah. 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 And there's things, and and it doesn't have to be that way. So no. Yeah. Yeah.
1: right. If people took basic steps and they determined what does it mean to recover my small business? So for your listeners, for those of you who run businesses, ask yourself, what do I need to recover my business? And when my book comes out, I actually give you a really simple framework. They're going to absolutely love it. It doesn't take a lot of time and effort, but they can literally just pull it up and they'll be able to look at how do I get my business back after a disaster, whether it's a hurricane, flood, pandemic, wildfire, action, it doesn't matter. No matter what it is, there is a way to recover you. But if you don't identify those things, you have no chance of recovering post-disaster.
0: Well, definitely when the book comes out. we'll circle back around to that because this, this really is a a really valuable topic. And boy, I think you really gave people something to think about in the meantime. So thank you so much for joining me. And and in the meantime, um, between now and when your book publishes for now, will you let the listeners know how they can find you?
1: yes uh if you do if they want to find me um my company's website is reversedisaster.com. again that's reverse disaster no spaces reversedisaster.com. disaster.com and if they want to try to find me personally um my website is americasdisasterplanner.com and i'm on there and you'll see i'm doing wonderful projects with the united nations and i'm working with the fbi on some security partnerships and some wonderful cool things because I really believe, Dan, that we need to, that businesses need to have access to be successful. They have to have access to the best information, the best management technology that we have available and to empower them to respond to any kind of disaster. And they can follow me on there. I do a lot of, um, I also do a lot of pro bono work. I do a lot of free disaster plans for, for nonprofits that simply can't afford it. So I make sure that we, I do everything I can to keep the entrepreneurial heart of the united states functioning as best it can after an, an emergency so i'm looking forward to talking to you in march and and here and having the listeners hear about this because i think they're going to love the book they're going to love its tenants and most importantly unlike any other disaster book ever written it's gonna be they can immediately apply and immediately use no matter what they do or how they make money so thank you for having me today
0: absolutely thank you so much and listeners Thank you. You're who we're doing this for, and this is a great example of why we do this podcast, right? Because this is information you may not be thinking about, but you need. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcasts.com. As always. Continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.
2: Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. Yeah.